She once was a normal girl, confused by this cold, cold world. Then lightning struck her and fate heaped her with the power to create sweaters. Ample warming, ample warming. She's your best friend when it's storming. Boys and girls. Your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warming, so don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. It's Tuesday, February 3rd, 2015, and this is issue number 12. Hello, everyone. Before we get into our questions from listeners, as per usual, I just want to run down a few news items that have cropped up in the last couple days that we want to talk about. I think we should talk first about the fact that Carrie Ann Moss has been cast on AKA Jessica Jones. Uh, Dave, do you have any uh, Trinity-based feelings about that? Oh, Trinity-based feelings. <laughs> yes. Yes? She was really good in one and two of the Matrix movies. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I remember being in the theater on the second balcony on midnight premiere of the third Matrix movie. And as someone yelled out during spoiler, her death scene, just die already. And everyone laughed. It got like the biggest laugh in the movie. Uh, and that so kind of sad. it broke the the mystique of the Matrix for me because what what happened with the second one was like I left and I was like that was bad I can't believe that was bad and then I watched it again and then like I, the things about it that I actually liked kind of came forward mm-hmm. and so now I can appreciate it but the third one that magic was broken in the middle of the first narrative and I never I never got to return to it with like fresh eyes. I just, well, as with most things that I don't like, I just pretend that the second and third Matrix films don't exist. And that the, the second, the, the the second first one has is... some interesting, you know, <laughs> philosophical pilings on. But yeah, the but it just muddies just... the water. Like, why even, because then you have to, like, think about the third. Why not just live in, a, in an imaginary bubble where just the first exists and it's perfect? You know? uh, it's difficult for me to do that knowing that there are other Matrix narratives out there. All right. And having played the video game and knowing how the Animatrix fits into the entire narrative. It's like the second movie is very broad because of all the linked content and it forms a complete picture that I like. The third movie is not connected to any of that. Um, but the Matrix aside, uh, Carrie Ann Moss, who is great in Memento, and shout out to the 90s, uh, a show called Models, Inc. That's where I, that's where I first knew Carrie Ann Moss from. Um, I think she's going to be great. And I, you know, who knows what they're going to make her do. I mean, and that's another question is we, we had a question from a listener, uh, Michael Chasen or Chasen on Twitter. Uh, and he asked us, 
some of the theories around Carrie Ann Moss's casting is that she's playing Jessica Drew. And so the question is, what are the rights rules around Jessica Drew? And, and Dave, can you explain to us why people think that's who Carrie Ann Moss is playing? Um, uh, because she's a super spy and it would be awesome. I mean, I'm sure there are other reasons that people would consider facts, but I just think that it would be an excellent <laughs> character. Uh, she's a, I think she's a current Avenger. Uh, she's Avenger on and off. Uh, she works for S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, she's known as Spider-Woman, has similar but different powers, including the ability to use pheromones to sort of control men. Um, isn't, so, that, isn't that Kilgrave's thing, using pheromones to control people? Yes. Huh. Interesting. But, I mean, but this one's more of a men fall in love with her and therefore do what she wants and sort of right. is more of a talk and then it happens. Simon says sort of a pheromone user. Anyway, point being is that she doesn't have a lot in common with Spider-Man outside uh-huh. of the name Spider-Woman. Uh, so that would put her in the characters that can sort of be negotiated in between Sony and Marvel in the, like the same, we talked about it when we talked about spider ham, like characters that <laughs> can be negotiated, uh, in, in and out of properties. Uh, if the two companies can get along is still funny. So, um, but I think if you don't call her spider woman, then the character didn't, you know, first appear in a Spider-Man comic and is definitely most associated with the Avengers. And you can make an argument that Jessica Drew is uh, in Marvel's house to begin with. So I don't know if it's a they don't want to kick that hornet's nest situation and they'll, you know, negotiate or if it's they could just do it because they have solid basis for it. Um, as far as I know, there isn't like a specific deal sometime in the past where somebody did a spider woman thing but like you know wishful thinking aside <clears throat> and i don't mean to dismiss wishful thinking because i operate under that all the time but where does this connection between carrie Ann moss and jessica drew come from like how likely is it that marvel's going to cast two characters named with dark hair named jessica on well, one show you know like uh, but jessica uh, jessica jones right yes um aka jessica of aka jessica jones um used to be like kind of friends with the avengers when she was of like superhero age so i don't know with the avengers being like cinematically young and the netflix series tying into that universe where that's going to be placed but the idea that she knows other superheroes or other ex-superheroes would be you know something that sort of thematically could play in their names just not aside you could just as easily have Scarlett Johansson show up, I think, but uh, I don't think they're going to, you know, roll the dice on the Netflix series that early. Okay, um, Paul Rudd maybe, but not Scarlett Johansson. Right, different okay. different levels. Yeah, different levels. I agree. Uh, okay, so Carrie Ann Moss. No matter what, though, the cast has Carrie Ann Moss, David Tennant, Kristen Ritter, um, Mike Coulter, and anyone else confirmed yet? Just those amazing four? Uh, I think so, yes. Yeah. So th- those are at least the key four. 
And um, she also also Carrie Ann Moss could just be like a badass cop woman. That's her like connection to actual systems of justice being a private detective. So it's like there are lots of ways it could play out. Right. But Jessica Drew would be awesome. Cool. Um, and the other thing we want to talk about is that they announced very briefly just say that they announced the lineup or the or the supposed lineup for the Teen Titans show on TNT. Uh, and it involves Dick Grayson for sure, and then Barbara Gordon very probably, and then you know on and on down the list. Starfire, I think, and Hawk and Dove, I think. Anyway, and the Raven and the Raven. So these are a lot of these are characters I don't know at all. I do know Barbara Gordon, and I do know Dick Grayson. Uh, are you? Do you have any thoughts about this? Are you excited about this? These DC characters? Um. Yeah, it's a good lineup. Uh, Barbara Gordon's inclusion is interesting. Isn't but I understand it? why they're doing it because she just make a make a good addition to that series, I think. Yeah, and I then it's, it's a good cool. place for like uh, Oracle to manifest. If uh, but that depends because Oracle presupposes Batman, unless she was in some sort of like car crash or something. We'll we'll see. Well, presupposes Batman by presupposing the Joker and the Joker and Batman being inseparable opposites. So that would presuppose both of them existing. But, you know, in terms of her role, that would be a, a great thing to see. I don't know. They'd probably just do her as Batgirl. Any and any of the rest are you interested in? Uh, any of the rest am I interested in? I mean, let me try to phrase that sentence a little more elegantly. No. Are you interested in any of the other characters? Raven, Starfire? Hawk I'm interested Dove. in a Teen Titans show more than I'm interested in the specifics of the characters that are going to show up uh, because the dynamics between the Teen Titans is always the reason, you know, you tune in. It's basically like the CW show comic book lines. And I mean that in the best way as somebody who's watched a lot of CW shows. Um, so this mix is interesting. And the reason Barbara Gordon's interesting is because of the romantic ties uh, potentially to Nightwing. Uh, but like Nightwing's struggle seems interesting in the time they're going to pick him up. I'm, I'm all, I'm all for it. If he's going to be like Robin at the beginning of the series and transition into Nightwing and forming the Teen Titans, I think, you know, has that Scooby's potential that you love in the new show, Joanna. I do love, uh, a good Scooby, uh, Scooby gang. Um, and I, I forgot, we forgot, we didn't talk about Jimmy Olsen, the Jimmy Olsen casting last week because we had, uh, it happened after we recorded, but my God, Brooks, who was on True Blood and some other things, uh, has been cast as Jimmy Olsen. Do we care? I mean, he was charming on True Blood, so that's all I know about him. Yeah, no, it's, I mean... I don't really know anything about that series. Casting is interesting because, yeah, I saw True Blood, but it doesn't mean that I know how uh, the redheaded girl is going to do Karen Allen and Daredevil. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm for it. I don't care that he's black if that's what we're dancing around. No, no, no. I, I, I well, I sounded like I was protesting too much. No, no, I don't even want to. I don't even <laughs> want to. No, I didn't even bring it up. I don't know why you think that would no, be I the important wanna, thing about this I casting. I don't even want to have that conversation because it's just like, duh. Of course, it doesn't matter, right? And like, what's funny to me is that 
you know, when the news popped up, like I was asked to write about it for Vanity Fair, mostly because they were like, oh no, people are going to lose their shit about a black Jimmy Olsen. But like, I looked around and mostly I saw people, maybe it's just because Jimmy Olsen is not a character that people care about, but like, I mostly saw people like saying that people are going to lose their shit more than I saw people actually losing their shit. Um, Well, it's like uh, they already have, you know, the human torch and Spider-Man and Nick Fury. What, why nobody's, nobody's going to be shocked by Jimmy Olsen. Right. The barrier has already sort of, you know, been knocked down in theory. Right. Yeah. So with with the greater characters. (laughs) Yeah. So the, yeah, exactly. So I, I actually kind of feel like that's a non story. Um, I I hope it's a non-story enough that it had nothing to do with casting and they genuinely got the best person for the job. That's what I hope is yeah. that it's even even though the you know we might have thought it would would be something and people on Twitter might have thought it would be something I hope that was not on anyone's mind when the decision was actually being made. Um yeah, and I mean we'll never know. So <laughs> in theory unless there's a tell-all book about supergirl a couple decades from now um <laughs> and then did you want to talk uh about the superman story you sent to me from usa today oh they're giving him like a nuclear blow-up power well it's, i mean in the comics yes in the comics mm-hmm. um i don't know we i don't think we need to talk about that superman's okay. pretty powerful so superman still powerful what? they're adding a new power which they haven't done in a while but they're just doing it as a way to explore the character because it's hard with Superman to find new ways to explore the character. But that's the whole point is that Superman is so boring. I think Superman is so boring because he's so powerful. You know, yeah, there's kryptonite. But, like, in general, Superman is not a very interesting character to me ever. And so the fact that they're like, let's take this guy who's just too powerful and give him more power, that's not... I mean, I guess the alternative is to take power away from him, and that's every kryptonite plotline. So I don't know. I just I don't really. Um... There's uh, there is interesting like memed fake Facebook conversation where Superman like Facebook messaged the Justice League saying like I'm sick. I'm not going to be able to like make it to the battle today. Like you know, red kryptonite poisoning. Don't have my powers. And everybody responded to him like Flash was like, uh, when I'm not the Flash, I'm a cop. And uh, like Green Arrow's like, I have never had any powers. And Batman's like, ditto. And everyone's, you know, like chiming in that Superman's the only person that's actually useless if he doesn't have his powers. <laughs> Which is interesting because he has all of them. Well, he, so, could, uh, he could report on, on what's going on, right? Yeah, if, that's 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 Clark Kent's only power. That's what I'm saying. Can, yeah, he sure, can, he could show up as Clark Kent. He could report. He I could take know. notes. All right. I'm hoping that the movies <laughs> make this all interested to me again because I just lost interest in the Justice League talking through that. Oh God! All right. Um, and before we dive into you know, back and forth listener questions. We did have a question that's sort of a question to all you listeners from another listener. This is from Justin from Huntington Beach. And he says, have you guys gotten feedback on how many people are dropping out in the advanced section? I have no way of knowing this, but I would think that spoiler phobes on, on, uh, 
you know, an ultra level are pretty rare. And most wouldn't mind uh, when Dave Gonzalez goes into the second half. Just curious, it seems like there's an unnatural break when a regular question needs to go into advanced territory during the show. Uh, yeah, so that's a question for all you guys listening. Do you use the advanced section? Do you protect yourself by dropping out before Dave, you know, goes full, you know, muzzle off mode? If not, you know, yeah, we can we can do away with it. But if we are protecting tender little ears, like we want to keep doing that. So let us know. Tweet at us uh, or email us, bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. Just please, yeah, be very vocal if you have a strong preference. If you don't care either way, don't worry about it. But if you have a very strong preference, please let us know uh, lest we spoil you accidentally in the future. So, Dave, do you have anything <laughs> to say about that? <laughs> No, no, no. I, like any animal, have no choice in wearing my muzzle. Oh, uh, okay. So now we're, we're for really real. No opposable thumbs. We're for really real going to get into the podcast now, uh, the question portion of the podcast. The first question is a visual question, so sorry, guys. But Dave might post this on the on the show page. I don't know. But um Goran from Sweden wrote in and he said, do you know how Arrow managed to change his chest wound into a gut wound while lying around in the snow? See attached file. Uh, and he, you know, attached three photos of Ollie, two of them, uh, you know, Ollie's Oliver Queen on Arrow is getting a sword right under his pectoral. And then when he's healing as, as he was in the last episode is bandages on his, you know, third ab up or whatever so um with the, I, I i objects which ab is it <laughs> uh i have to know specifically which ab yes <laughs> yeah it's just a, map map it out it's the eighth ab from the right and mm. straight on till morning um yeah so that's a, that's a good point i mean the the big sh- the big shock of the quote-unquote death on arrow mid-season finale was seeing that sword go through your main character's chest and then see him fall off a snowy cliff. So you are going to have to come up with a really good reason. And, and I know Dave is like really excited to talk about this, but you're going to have to come up with a really good reason why your character did not die. If you're going to, th- you know, plunge a, a sword through his chest and drop him off a snowy cliff and mm. then leave him there for an indeterminate amount of time. Uh, so Dave, we had already talked about the podcast. Dave had already told me the comic book reason why this was supposed to work and Ollie was supposed to come back. Uh, but it did not end up manifesting that way on the show. Uh, so Dave, do you want to, you know, just unleash your rage about this or your, your mild disappointment? Well, do you want to cover how he actually came back? Yeah, I do. Do it. Oh, oh, I do it. Okay. So, uh, gosh, well, I don't know all the characters' names, but the, you know, this guy who's been figuring in all of Oliver's flashbacks, this is what the flashbacks have been leading up to, this guy who also, who now is part of, uh, Ra's al Ghul's organization, or, or Raish is how they're saying it on the show, uh, Raish al Ghul's organization basically rescues Ollie, like goes, you know, clambers down the snowy cliff, finds Ollie. It really is not clear how long he's been laying there in the snow. Uh, drags him off to some hut and then recruits his wife, who he is estranged from, we don't know why, she also features in the flashback, to heal him with, like, random herbs. Like, they don't really say how he was healed. So... They say he was really close to death, and I'm like, he was dead? He was super dead. (laughs) He was 
you know, not just mostly dead. He was all the way dead. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if the stab wood hadn't killed him, the fall would have, or the, or the snow would have, something would have killed him. So the way Since that- I'm a headcanon person here and, you know, I'm, I'm into the details. I wonder if you're capable of surviving a stab wound through the abdomen, but having a punctured lung because you want to reference a Batman cover might be actually fatal. Um, yeah, as Dave has mentioned before, the exact way he was stabbed by Rachel Gould is, is very, is the same, like panel for panel sort of situation as a Batman uh, comic book. And so the fact that Ollie's wound has now migrated down to the eighth ab is, uh, you know, their way around it, but it is something that makes it survivable. It is. Well, and then also, I don't know from, if we want to get actually scientific, like maybe being in the extreme cold could help that because it would slow some things down possibly right. but what i'm saying but is that a punctured lung has and, nothing to do with that and the fall would have killed him he yes. fell so far his back is broken or his neck is broken or everything is broken so it, just, it's just weird that they sidestepped a perfectly good reason which right, is so the lazarus pit yeah so what's the lazarus pit in the comic it's, books it's like a pit that makes you young again or can bring you back to life it's how Rasha gould stays young which they reference in the show because he's you know been dueling shirtless on top of a snowy cliff for a long time and uh it, but it's it was all the elements were there to like use it, but Arrow got I don't know. Do you think there's it, any way that they used it, like while Ollie was sleeping, and they're just not gonna tell him, and there's going to be weird consequences from it? Uh, that we brought you back, but at what cost? Uh, at what cost? Yeah. Uh, they don't seem to be treating it that way. They and don't. Pit, I agree. Uh, a pivot like that would be, uh, I think, detrimental to any sort of mythos that the Lazarus Pit is supposed to, to like have. I would have much rather she just say, you know, he brought you here in bad condition, but like I didn't save you or something like that. You know, that sort of reveal. But it seems like she's taking credit for herbing him to life and they're trying to develop this friendship between the two of them and some sort of... A mystery about why their marriage ended in the sort of way that he doesn't want to like defend her anymore if he has something else going on. So they're like ways around it. Well, but I'm the- kind of interested in that too. Like I like that it, I, I was very uninterested in the flashbacks all season. And right. the fact that they're now tied into the story is at least much more interesting. I like those two characters. So I'm glad that they're involved. I am intrigued by the mystery of why they're not together anymore. Um, but I agree that they could have used the Lazarus Pit or something more feasible. I mean, feasible in a comic book sense, uh, and still incorporate those two characters. You know. Well, I mean, ultimately, using the Lazarus Pit off screen is just as believable as him surviving that fall and that wound. Yeah. So I don't know why they didn't just go in that direction, even though Arrow feels like it has a commitment to not having superpowered characters on it. And do you want to then uh, dive into why you think the Flash is better than Arrow? For, because tied it, to this reason, it commits to having superpowered characters on it and making it work uh, within its own narrative. It's doing, um, you know, freak of the week, if you will, uh, better I think than Arrow did. 
there was a lot of focus on Ollie's emotional relationship and training that I get that's what that series is about and it did it really well but in terms of like a fun superhero series Flash already in season one is just dealing with the adaptation of its concept matter and when it could go basically campy it's managed to not or do it in a way that's somehow like comic book charming a la Arrow versus Flash with like evil Flash for a little while where it's just like oh you you little rascal show you just want to figure out a reason to show us colorful fun berry powers and like outside of Iris I think that show is basically so much more fun week to week Arrow has might have better stunt photography. It's really a battle between the two, but considering one's in its third season and one's in its first season, I think Flash is definitely the better show. I mean, uh, so what I will agree with is that any and all emphasis on Laurel, and particularly this Laurel Black Canary malarkey, is disappointing. Um, Thankfully, they brought Felicity back from being a crappy character within the span of one episode. So that was like an, an all, a record crappy storyline for that character. But, you know, separating Ollie and, and trying to make Laurel a character that we're rooting for is just not working for Arrow right now, in my opinion. My problem with Flash has everything to do with Barry, uh, a little bit to do with Iris, but everything to do with Barry in that I just am not feeling that character. Uh, and, and Dave and I have talked about this off air in terms of we both really love Jesse L. Martin. I feel like he's the emotional center of that show. Um, but yeah, I just think the younger characters are weaker on that show. Um, the, I was impressed with how they did the Pied Piper. That should have been really stupid and it wasn't. It worked really well. So that was good. But overall, I, I still my heart still belongs to Arrow more than it does Flash. I mean, even in like creating superpowered Jeopardy, just like taking an episode like the man in the yellow suit versus versus any of like the uh, mirror mirror soldier storyline episodes, mirror storyline <laughs> soldier episodes. It's just like ah, uh, like it could it, these things can be storytelling devices and I think Flash hits them more on the head while Arrow is concerned about how to adapt them to a real world situation. And when that works, it, it's thrilling. Like when he puts a boxing glove on his arrow and shoots a boxing glove at somebody, <laughs> I'm like, yes, you go, Arrow. But I'm saying in terms of the two current seasons running, Flash is undoubtedly the better show in my mind. In your opinion, yeah. Um, I am a little worried about... You know, they're they're powering up Brandon Ruth and um, they released the first image of him in the Adam suit. And it looks, I don't know, like, I think you're right in terms of Arrow is so focused on being grounded in reality. And, and the Adam suit looks like it could be fine on Flash and looks a little much for Arrow. So we'll see how it, how it, how it deals. And maybe it'll help bring Arrow into that universe that you more want to see it in. I don't know. But, um, I'm really hoping it moves in a cool way, because like, I think I told you it looks like a Ye- like a Jaeger suit from yeah, Pacific Rim. You did, and if it looks like it's you know like football padding like level stuff on him, it's gonna be bad. But if they could find a way to move like, I don't know, like some of the Iron Man puppets move, I'm totally down with it. 
And my one solution for fixing the Laurel character, other than killing her, which would be ideal, but I don't think they're going to do that, is uh, if if they let her kill that DJ uh, who's who's uh, hitting on Thea and doing, you know, rec- recon work for Rachel Ghoul, if she kills the DJ who's now the most annoying character on Arrow, then, you know, <laughs> that'll redeem her a little bit. So that's my Isn't, solution. Shouldn't you have a goal other than, you know... A annoying character killing another annoying character of course, thereby. Of course I should have a different goal. Of course the show should have a different goal. I'm just saying that's <laughs> something that would work for me personally. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good or tidy storytelling. I'm just saying it would work for me. So I wouldn't complain. Yeah. But then also when if Flash Flash has the potential to nosedive really hard and overcommit to some of the stuff, so I, the argument continues week to week. Week to week. We'll check in next week. Um, all right. And so we're going to move off of D- DC TV shows to a Marvel movie. And that's uh, this comes from Nick from Sydney, Australia. And he says, in a past episode, it was mentioned that Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are in, were in humans and not mutants due to licensing. I recently watched Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and noticed that during the mid credit scene, Baron von Strucker mentions that the twins have survived, quote-unquote, experimentation. As you refer to them as inhumans, are you implying that their reason for su- surviving the experimentation is due to their Kree ancestry, similar to Sky slash Daisy being able to touch the obelisk in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Has this been confirmed that they are actually in humans, or is this just a guess based on possible evidence from the recent events of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. slash upcoming Inhumans film? Uh, I think that's a great question from Nick. I was assuming that they were in humans just because, uh, you know, when, when Dave revealed to me that Marvel could not use the concept of mutants, I was like, oh, well, then that makes sense that it would be tidy to have all the mutants then just become inhumans. But but it is true that you do want to question whether or not how much Cree ancestry you want running around uh, the joint. Dave, what is your answer here? Um, the word inhumans hasn't officially been used by anybody yet. Uh, so we know that they, the two of them were experimented on, Hydra, on by Hydra, and I think there are a lot of people that have been experimented on by Hydra or Hydra-like systems. It's been a lot of experimenting on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but somehow... Right, like Bucky. Right. right? Yeah. And uh, Bucky, you know, had a lot of weird, crazy stuff done to him. And, you know, the mechanical arm, obviously. Uh, Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow went through some sort of, like, programming, maybe torture. It's sort of unclear just based on the trailers at this point. Um, And then we have all these scenes of... uh, the Olsen's uh, Olsen. There's just one in this movie. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen Wouldn't amongst it be like a crowd of screaming ca- people. <laughs> they cast Mary Kate and Ashley to play uh, Quicksilver's Scarlet Witch. No, they're not twins in the comic book, right? They're just siblings. Yeah, or just like weird. It would be weird if like when so in the Scarlet Witch gives herself children in the House of M uh-huh. when she basically like knows a whole bunch of mutants. It'd be weird if she gave herself like adult children that were her sisters. I'm, I, my fingers are crossed for that. I mean, Marvel's Hopefully. not going to go that weird. We talked about this earlier. I wish Marvel would go that weird right. and have like Squirrel Girl punch somebody, but. I don't think there are Olsen's in the future. Anyway, we see her 
amongst like another group of people that are like chanting and yelling before she looks like superpowered in any sort of way. So I think you could assume that there's been a lot of people recently experimented on by Hydra uh, with alien technology, Loki's staff, stuff left over from the Battle of New York, who knows. Um, and these two seem to have survived for some reason. Why they survived, we don't know for sure. It seems to make sense that they're inhumans because, like, even in the comics, everyone experiments on the mutants because they're the survivors and they have extra human abilities and they adapt to weird genetic stuff better. So I think they're inhuman. Uh, it's, I think it's a safe assumption, and I think that's what a lot of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to be building to up into May. Um, it's uh, sort of what Hydra is doing and experimenting on people. That seems like fertile ground for the television show to kick back at the movie. So, uh, yeah, I think we'll spend more time on this. But officially, no, no one said in humans yet. Um, do you have a preference either way? Like, wh- what would it? What would be the like farther-reaching implications of them being in humans? Them having Cree ancestry. Um. I don't think it would have a lot of farther-reaching uh, implications. I think it'd be easier because if people like Sky exist and she, you know, was a hacker in the United States, it's not like they're all centralized to one around one place. It's not like they're picking it up in the comics where they're already all in Atlanta, the one city. It's more like they're picking it up now in the comics post-Infinity where the Terrigen Miss bomb went off and, you know, random people discovered they had Kree ancestry. But usually, like, the transformation from a non-superhuman person to an inhuman was, like, a very controlled thing in that society. Like, who was controlled from the Terrigen Mists for how long? And they evolved that way to sort of genetically purify the society. So obviously we're not dealing with something like that. It's more like there are latent, there are people with latent Cree genetics in them sparkled around the world. And there are these devices or experiments that activate them. That seems to be how it's playing out, but just from what we've seen. Okay. That's a good answer. Um, we have a lot of spoiler section questions and a lot of them have to do with the Hulk. Uh, and we're going to get there next, but first I do want to answer the question from, from Joe. Uh, I'm really pleased with this question because Joe says that he basically has gotten back into or more into comics since listening to this podcast. And that's really exciting. I want to hear from other people. If you guys have been inspired by stuff that Dave has said or stuff that we've recommended to, to get into comic books. Um, but Joe, Joe brought up the harsh realities of a comic book addiction, which is that, uh, you know, he's been using the Comixology app and he downloaded some recommendations and then it starts the price tag, you know, it just starts adding up. And he says, reading about two hours worth last night probably cost $25 and that's going to add up pretty quickly. Maybe this is just how reading slash owning comics works, but when I compare it to buying a book for $10, which lasts me longer, or renting a two-hour movie for $3, it seems like comics come off as overpriced. I'm fine with paying for the the work and certainly don't expect them to be free, but I also don't want to spend $100 to read a storyline that only takes me a week to get through. I guess the main question is, is there a more economical way to get into comics? Maybe some sort of Spotify slash Netflix service that exists. If not, I'd take some suggestions of certain ones to get into so that at least I know I'm getting the most out of it. 
you know, and, and we promised a couple weeks ago, we did set up, or, you know, Dave, to be more accurate, set up a Goodreads account associated with this podcast. We've we, probably been doing very poorly. We at- do, no, we've been doing very poorly at doing anything about that. But I do want to say that if we want to crowdsource some of this, and if you guys want to, I feel like... There can be a way if you guys send in a review of, of what you're reading, we can sort of put that in with your name attached to it onto the Goodreads account to sort of crowdsource this, this recommendation engine. Um, you know, and then like, like in the video store days of old, you can start to get to know certain names and what they recommend and what that means to you. That's just an idea that I literally just had right now and Dave might veto it off air or on air, but, um, yeah, no, that's fine. And yeah. then also uh, for recommendations, you could directly tweet at us or email us. That it seems to have been working for some people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but Dave had a longer answer too to this comicsology uh, cost benefit analysis problem, or just the cost benefit analysis <laughs> of being a person who likes to read comic books. Uh, and the direct answer is question: There's Marvel Unlimited, which is a digital service that gives you access to like. Marvel's digital library, which they're still expanding. It is very full right now. And they add recent titles like a couple of months after they're published. So it's definitely the way that I catch up on the Marvel Universe titles that I sort of read around. Um, it's, it's a monthly subscription. I think it's under $10 still. Uh, and other people are developing similar uh, systems. They might already have been launched, and I'm just not on board. You're please. just a Marvel guy. Yeah, please, please alert me if there are other systems for other publishing houses that are uh, this specific. Um, oh, I think there was a Dark Horse app, but I don't think that had back issues. Anyway, neither here nor there. <clears throat> but it's you're right in the sense that digital collecting gets gets really expensive and the way that i've always thought about that is somebody who started uh reading comics in like the early 90s before all this digital stuff happened is like when i'm reading week to week and i'm paying you know full cover price which is you know like 4 or 5 dollars sometimes for individual issues of comics they're like 26 pages uh, that are digitally downloaded to my iPad that I get to instantly read. It feels to me like I'm paying for that delivery service. And so that's how I always think about it is I'm basically paying to be addicted to a story. So I get to read it instantly as soon as it's uploaded, the day it's released and get to know what happens first. And me and my friend Julian can text message about Spider-Verse and assume that the other person has read the <laughs> comics already. Like, that's basically what I feel like I'm paying for. So I'm paying to be current. I do agree that if you're going, like, physically issue to issue, that is a lot of money to pay for not a lot of, I I think, uh, immediate value. Especially now they're not on, like, newsstands. So you're, like, going to a specialty place to buy, like, a weekly issue. If you're that kind of person, you have a cubby, you're getting discounts, you're getting variant covers. There are reasons that you're doing that. I think for most people trade paperbacks is the way to go because not only are a lot of them beautiful um, but a lot of them a lot of the most popular ones and the ones that we talk about on the podcast a lot are available in multiple printings that you know some are cheaper some are like art prints but you're paying for like an entire arc or a grouping of stories that are you know are kind of supposed to go together and were released around similar times and it's like hearkening back to what comic books were originally, which were the Sunday funnies, like collected mm-hmm. in one collection. 
And, uh, you know, these sort of things you could digest more as story, but you could also hold them as, like, physical pieces of art that you have lying around. I have, like, uh, what Alan Moore's Lost Girls, which I think is, like, uh, three hardcover books, and it costs, like, $300, and I pre-bought it just, like, knowing that I want this fully printed on, like, good cardstock. And, like, there's definitely digital versions available of it, and it's a weird, erotic, you know, retelling of, uh, <laughs> you know, folk heroes. Uh, but I Alan enjoy. Moore, weird and erotic? Like, you astound me, really. Alan Moore and his wife. It's like a long project <laughs> they worked on for several years. It's really weird and sexual. But yeah, I like having that, you know, physical copy of it. And I don't have to, like, re-download it for half an hour on my digital device. Um, uh, there are legal ways to digitally get uh, large batches of comments. I think we shouldn't talk about that. Well, I mean, I don't think that ignoring it means that it goes away. I, I think that it's it's not like other things that you could pirate because comics these aren't like large sale devices that like you know millions upon millions of people are seeing every issue. We're talking about you know thousands, hundreds of thousands. If it's good, if like a comic book crosses a million, it's like the best-selling issue. But that's of the kind decade. of why it's worse, I think, pirating a comic. Exactly, that's what I'm leading oh, up to. Oh, okay, sorry. Is like uh, you can't ignore that pirating is out there. Like not talking about people pirating movies isn't going to stop people from pirating movies. If right. this guy's asking a question and his okay. answer is honestly, you should look into you know illegal means if you're you know if you need to buy food and you want to read comics. I don't want to judge anybody's thing, but what I'm saying is like this is an industry that I would really not recommend it because sales really have an impact on yeah. what new comics come out, the artists who make them, the writers who write them. It isn't something that's like uh, you know like a movie or a TV show that's like being broadcast for free somewhere else, or people all get paid before it's even edited together. Right. I mean, go ahead and pirate Avengers, like the first Avengers movie or, or Guardians of the Galaxy. Like Especially I, if you've seen it. Yeah. That's, or, uh, that's a weird warp uh, concept that I ascribe to. But if I've paid for something, I kind you know, like I, I pay for all the cable channels. This is, this is a weird admission buried in the middle of a comic book podcast. I pay for all the cable channels. I also sometimes illegally download TV shows onto my laptop because it's more convenient. I've already paid for it though. So that's my weird justification for doing it. I mean, um, I I used to be the kind of person that was like, pirate everything, this is the wild west of the internet, everybody yeah. go crazy. But I've since aged into something where it's like, <laughs> it's both. Like, yeah. it really is a case-by-case -case basis for each person with, like, each piece of material. Because it's like, you, you never know. You don't want to deny, um, you know, people the right to make money off their material, but you also don't want to deny the realities of this industry where you might actually be helping somebody by like furthering the exposure of their material. There's like the pro but and con. But it's really hard to know where the line is on that. It's and really I, hard to know. And I agree with you that when it comes to comics, like that line is even dicier. There was um, like a week where it's like some hours you were a patriot for torrenting the interview and some hours you yeah. were an asshole for torrenting <laughs> the interview. So like uh, there's each, each one of these things sort of comes with its own baggage for yeah. comics. I do not recommend it. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I did want to say one thing about um, finding a local comic book shop. Uh, 
Dave sort of mentioned this in the concept of a cubby, but I know that, you know, my friends who've been going to this one comic shop for years and years and years, they have what's called a bag, right? Where uh, the cubby, I imagine, is the same thing where you sort of subscribe to a certain story, certain comic book story. And then as that issue comes out, when you go into, you know, every week or every other week to collect your bag, like the issues are already just automatically sorted in there for you. You are getting some kind of bulk discount for having a bag. And it's just nice to go in and like chat with your local comic book store guy, you know, it's not all the Simpsons. And if if you do like that sort of thing and develop it's, you know, a relation, it's like, it's like having drug dealers. You want to develop a good relationship <laughs> with your dude who has access to the stuff. Yeah. Because these are independent comic book stores. They're getting the direct sales stuff. They are the only places you're going to get variant covers at like a reasonable price. And if you, you know, like some of my friends have been going to the same comic book shop for years and years and years. And, you know, they'll pull like a Scotty Young variant for him because he knows that, you know, he's really into that. And he only gets, you know, like two per every hundred issues that he orders. So, you know, that sort of thing can make a big deal if that's what you're into. Plus, that guy or those women there are reading everything and are going to be much better than Joanna and I uh, week to week <laughs> helping you out. Yes, that's true. Um and any time that I've gone in, like even more, you know, I, I used to work in a bookstore. I really pride myself on being able to put the right book in someone's hands. But I, I really think your average bookstore employee has no chance of being as good at what they do as your average comic book store employee because that's a focused, a more focused passion than like, I like books. Oh, do you like nonfiction or fiction? I mean, it's just, it's very wide. And it's not that there aren't variants in comic books. It's just, like I said, a more focused passion. And so you're just likely to find someone who really knows what they're talking about, really is able to listen to what you like and guide you in a good direction. So And be able to be able to sustain a comic book business, you have to know your stuff at this point. It's a horrible industry to be in as a shop owner. So go out there. They they're doing it because they're passionate at this point. But I also know you know, there is also someone who who lets me use his Marvel Unlimited password. So I do have access to that. So I'm not just sort of sitting up here being all virtuous. Like there are a lot of options um someone's paying for it someone's paying for it someone's paying for my hbo go there you go (laughs) i'm paying for a lot of people's hbo go so it all comes around um all right so we are gonna before we head into the spoiler section i did want to ask just to tease what we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the hulk a lot and actually it's very interesting but really quickly dave i want to ask if you can talk about in any non-spoiler way why you what in the previews that you've seen so far uh, this might be a like thin line to ask you to escape but Mm. what in the previews you've seen so far like why are people asking about the hulk's importance going well i think a lot of uh the trailer is focused on the hulk if you look at it in in general so in terms of the hulk's overarching storyline through the movie uh, we don't know exactly what order things take in place, but we've seen like a traumatized banner. We've seen him falling in the snow with explosions behind him. And then we've obviously seen tons of the Hulk versus Iron Man fight that seems to include a tender moment between the Hulk and Black, Black Widow. Widow. Yeah. And so it just seems like the Hulk is kind of uh, important. Also, the Hulk 
definitely the standout character of the first Avengers. Uh, if anyone doesn't remember the immediate aftermath of that movie, it was literally what's happening with the Hulk. Everybody wants to know now who the Hulk is the greatest thing ever. Everything he did with Loki was fantastic. Um, right. We I think finally the- had a Hulk that we let, like after two movies that didn't work, we finally had a Hulk in Mark Ruffalo in this amount that he's used that's that was my theory which i floated before which is that the hulk at least for this audience general consumption is a better supporting character than he is a main character so yes i think he can be a main character but i think that it always has to be like a i think it works best on screen as a not completely serious character in the sense that you know even when he's supposed to be causing you know mortal danger on the helicarrier and avengers you know it's scarlett johansson and chris hemsworth they're not gonna be killed by a cgi hulk so it's you know sort of fake uh, ideas of avengers fighting avengers which is always money uh but but it always has to be something where you're on the hulk's side he can't be necessarily evil hulk either uh, because that doesn't work. You have to understand why he's fighting and sort of like be on the side of Smash. So that's why the end of Avengers works so good. much much better than the end of the Incredible Hulk or Ang Lee's Hulk. Uh, just because you're having fun with it, because it's all of a sudden we have the unstoppable force in the middle of this invasion of New York, and you're just you're on his side the entire way. And uh, it was able to sort of humanize him without spending a lot of time thinking about the Bruce Banner Hulk duality, which is why Hulk is sort of difficult as individual characters because spending a lot of time on him is just chewing Jekyll and Hyde over and over again. And it's hard to sustain, I think, which is why, you know, in the comics they separate them or there's another Hulk that isn't Bruce Banner or, you know, all those sorts of things. So speaking of evil Hulk, uh, we are going to hop into the spoiler section. Um, this might be the last time we ever do it. If if we hear from you guys that none of you are are leaving when we do this, um, but it, maybe also not. See, I don't know why he says that the transition to the spoiler section is awkward because obviously it's very smooth and I do it very well every week. So you know, here comes the Hulk walking away music. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye, David. And I hope you find your safe place, your refuge. Thank you. So our first Hulk-centric question comes from Justin from Huntington Beach, who I think already asked questions this week. And he sent us a link to a, a Bleeding Cool post that had the Hot Topic or, or the, I don't know, it was Funko or whatever, uh, action figure of the Hulk. It's called Savage Hulk. And he's gray and he's got red around his eyes. And we've already talked on this podcast and elsewhere about the red around his eyes sort of being the indication that Hulk is under control of um, not an Olsen twin, of Elizabeth Olsen's Scarlet Witch. Uh, What 
does the gray have to do with it? And what what do you think that this is all pointing towards? Uh, well, people think that there's also in the TV spot a shot of the Hulk where he seems to be color corrected gray. Um, so that's where people are thinking that this gray Hulk is coming out. Occasionally, Hulk is gray. Hulk uh, was gray initially. Uh, but green seemed to be a more vibrant color for a comic book character, and so Hulk became canonically green. He also returned to gray to become Joe Fixit, um, which was sort of like a mobster version of the Hulk, but was slightly more intelligent, but slightly less strong. Anyway, not important. These Funko toys, they have uh, like one two three four five five existing versions of the hulk they're all green or red and one is a combination of half green and half red for those people that don't care about continuity and i just feel like maybe there was time for gray hulk to differentiate the one with the black widow from like say putting red eyes on a green hulk but that not being it different from your red slash green Hulk in the eyes of like mindless computers that catalog toys. So I'm not expecting to see gray Hulk, not only for the toy connection, but because like what, why even complicate it like that? Like the Hulk changes colors. Like we're going to have to focus on the Hulk storyline anyway, because as we discussed in the non-spoiler section, there's going to be more of it. Uh, He's been in a relationship with the black widow. And from what I understand, there's a joke about how they can't have sex because he gets like excited, which is a callback to the incredible Hulk movie with his little pacemaker watch. But uh, like the idea that she's going to sort of calm him down is going to eventually cause the Avengers to. Sorry. I was. <laughs> oh my god. What are you listening to? I was trying to watch the TV spot to see if I could see the color corrected Gray Hulk. Well, I wasn't actually. I was just clicked on an article that said Gray Hulk TV spot and then the TV ad started auto playing and I was just oh, yeah. trying to like sign it. It's the one where he runs forward and kicks with the the heel of his foot, kicks the Yeah, car yeah. See, I'm seeing the gift now, which is all I wanted to do. I wanted to see that quietly while you were talking about it and uh yeah, yeah. Okay, I can see that. That. Um, okay, I mean, you were, you were could talking be about his sex life with the Black Widow, though. See, I was listening while while I was looking. Well, I'm saying that there's a lot to serve. It doesn't really make sense to throw in this weird twist that he changes color for some reason. But you don't. You don't think that visual shorthand would be helpful for, you know, the 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 casual viewer who who isn't super paying attention to all the details and like just knows that okay, Gray Hulk means under mind control hulk well we've seen that really striking close-up of green hulk with red 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 eyes but like maybe that's color corrected too well uh, maybe it's red eyes plus gray skin equals very very easy visual shorthand for this is not the hulk that you're used to i mean uh, maybe I think the story is going to take care of that. Like we've talked about in previous spoiler sections, I think that he might even get like mind controlled with Loki's scepter just to like introduce the idea of right. a mind controlled Hulk. Yeah. It would just, it would be weird to like introduce into this story world that thus far, you know, earns its leaps in logic to just suddenly be like Hulk changes colors when his mind's controlled. Like the red of Scarlet Witch cancels out the green and we're left with only monochrome. Like, okay, you were just sitting here thinking, saying you wish 
all, like the shows and the movies and whatever go weirder. And then all, now you're now you're making fun of like colors coming together. I mean, Ang Lee did where the angrier he was, the bigger he was. I think, and I liked that. And like that, that sort of idea. If it's like something like that, there's some sort of like rage ramping. Then it would have been weird that it wasn't introduced in Avengers or his solo movie that is still canon. Now it's just like, oh, and also this new Hulk thing. Well, we are going to see a new Hulk thing, though. We're seeing a new, like, Red Eyes is a new Hulk thing. So why not make it just even more obvious for the audience? I just don't see the big difference between gray skin. I know gray skin means something else in the comics to you, but, like, gray skin and Red Eyes is just a more obvious that they're trying to hide in the trailer is just a more obvious there's something fucked up and wrong with the Hulk more so than usual, even. I mean, I guess I could be I'm, wrong. Hoping, I'm, I'm hoping for more story world integrity than that from a company <laughs> whose entire whose entire plan is to pile all these things on top of each other that, you know, like works like you don't have to explain why the Infinity Gauntlet was in Odin's like star chamber and Thor will just will give you that one. But like while you're announcing nine movies in the future to suddenly change the rules on the Hulk before for fully exploiting the rules on the Hulk you've already made up just like seems ridiculous because you're afraid people aren't going to get it. No, uh, there's if, if they do it, they're they're going to like talk into it in some sort of weird way where like, you know, he taps into some sort of, you know, version of the Hulk that you know, has no banner talking into him or something, but it's not going to be. Are they going to do that? Or is Tony Stark just going to say something funny and quick and then it it works? I would be so disappointed in that. Okay. All right. I hope, well, I hope they don't disappoint you. Um, We have another question about the Hulk. This is from Jalen from uh, Piedmont, Alabama. And, uh, oh, I don't know if Jalen is a he or she. So they say, um, Recently, I was discussing some thoughts on Age of Ultron movie with my roommate, and one storyline that I believe isn't getting enough discussion is that of the Hulk. Uh, I think that means Jalen hasn't been sticking around for our uh, spoiler sections, which is fine. <laughs> um, and they want, they go on to say, it is unreasonable to think that his actions in Ultron, possibly mind controlled by Scarlet Witch, will lead to the team having to make a decision on... Oh, is it unreasonable to imagine will lead to the team having to make a decision on how to handle the Hulk? I believe this choice splits the team, not a registration or government bill, because Ant-Man will be the first secret identity superhero, leading to one half of the Avengers doing what's best for Bruce and the other half doing what's best for the humanity. Just want to know your thoughts. Thanks and keep up the amazing work. So uh, there's a good question there, which is, you know, we've been assuming that Civil War is about the Registration Act, but that's a good point, isn't it? That Ant-Man is our first secret identity superhero. So the concept of the Registration Act loses some of its gusto, right? If, um, am I wrong? If if there aren't superheroes in hiding? Um, I mean, the idea of revealing your secret identity sort of loses its teeth. But registering with the government is something that all of these vigilantes are going to have opinions on. Because, I mean, like, basically Scarlet Witch sat in front of the government at the end of Captain America 2 and was like, yep, yeah, S.H.I.E.L.D. was bad, but it's cool. We took care of it. That's why you have us. We're superheroes. Drop the mic. And, like, that's going to come back to kick her in the ass once Tony Stark comes the other way because he realizes that superheroes do things like create Ultron trying to, you know, figure out a better way to protect the planet. For the greater good, right? Okay, so, but nonetheless... 
uh, the Hulk, we've already talked about how the Hulk is going to be very important, but you don't think it's going to be shoot Hulk into space versus not shoot Hulk into space is the issue that divides the team. Right. No, I think they're going to shoot Hulk into space. Is that what we're talking about? Well, the question is, what causes a civil war? Is a civil war what we expect it to be from the comics, which is this superhero registration act thing? Or, oh, or is oh, it something oh. else? Is if, if the secret identity thing uh, is a non-issue, I mean, you already answered that. But, let, you know, let's say it's not the registration act. Let's say they don't decide to go the Star Wars route and make it about, like, trade treaties and, like, legislation right, right, let's make it more personal and say the fate of bruce banner is what divides this team is that a possibility um no <laughs> it's a it's, it's a vague possibility uh-huh. i think civil war is very much going to have to be tony versus uh, uh captain america steve thank you thank you dave oh you're welcome <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's gonna have to be Tony versus Steve, and I mean, uh, like, not their personas. There has to be something that each personally that they're each standing in, and they're gonna use some sort of like government bullshit, like they do in all Iron Man movies, to be the pretext for that to happen. Um, and cat all Captain America movies. Actually, now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, those two characters being together in a movie that the government plays into is definitely something that's going to be happening. Um, okay. It's unlikely to me that it's going to be the Hulk because the Hulk was already shot into space by the time Civil War happened uh, in the comic books. So sort of tying him into that, it's like you don't, all you need to do to make the argument uh, to shoot Hulk into space is that he's the strongest thing there is. You can't kill him. And hey, people like Ultron can control his mind. Like I have no doubt this is somehow the finale and that, you know, there's a reason we haven't seen Ultron physically assault an Avenger. Ultron Prime physically assault an Avenger outside of that one red blast we get in the trailer. Because it's going to have something to do with, the, you know, he's going to have a Hulk protecting him. Uh, and the only way yeah. to get rid of the Hulk protecting him is to get rid of him and the Hulk. Let's shoot him into space. And that's nice. Uh, we, like figured so like i was talking about earlier in the non-spoiler section that time period after the avengers where everybody was obsessed with the hulk and then at latino review we came up with uh, a person who uh, had knowledge of a meeting where they discussed some options uh for the future and one of those was planet hulk and uh, when we uh, heard that uh, the second Avengers movie was definitely going to end with Hulk being shot into space, we sort of uh, committed to that idea because it just made so much sense to do like a Planet Hulk and a World War Hulk at some point. Uh, we would have put World War Hulk instead of Infinity War because who would have known Space Gauntlet would have worked? Um, but yeah, that uh, evolved and changed. But what I don't think has evolved and changed past that is the Hulk being shot into space because it just makes so much sense. And Banner helped create Ultron in this version. So if Tony's going to have to, you know, pay the Piper in Civil War, then Banner, I think, might have to pay for it immediately well, at the event of Age of Ultron. And I mean, it does make sense character-wise if Tony's off the reservation in... Um and not off the right, like, you know, his motivation, what's More cool, wrong than Captain America. Maybe. I don't know. It's cool that... Like a Super Bowl bet. It's, it's 
cool that the sides are both somewhat sympathetic and understandable. It's not like Tony Stark is evil Tony Stark, right? Um, you mean uh, the superior Iron Man? That's evil Tony Stark okay, in the comics. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, but, but wouldn't it make sense that Tony is more likely to be, I don't know, more of an asshole if Bruce Banner, who is his best friend, right, in theory, other than Pepper, mm-hmm. has been shot into space. Yeah, that his fellow science bro is gone and he's sad and he's mourning that and mm-hmm. lashing, lashing out. I mean, I, I mean, well, like, so then the solution could be that it's both. Because Tony Stark's so smart in the comics and in the movies, he's capable of mourning the multiple ways that he forces himself to be wrong. Everything Tony Stark does is for the best motivations, but it's going to end out wrong for the next few movies. And so he's going to have to send his friend into space, but he's already mentally betrayed him because he's designed the Hulkbuster armor. So that's it's all there. All that drama is already rolled up into it. And hopefully we get to see it. I mean, I'm so excited that they made Iron Man an interesting character without doing alcoholism, like from here to 2008. Like, good Lord. <laughs> like keep going Robert Daddy Jr. All right. Um and then this last question we have is actually um it's a DC question, guys. All you people out there say we don't talk enough about DC. Um this uh is from Brian from the OC and he says uh, recently, there was a report that one of the reasons Tom Hardy left the Suicide Squad film was because his character's part was reduced to give more focus to Joker and Harley Quinn. Now that Batman is rumored to have a cameo, I am worried that Warner Brothers is just using Batman and his rogues because they're the most lucrative thus far. The rumor that the end of the Suicide Squad will end up, will set up Batman v. Joker solo film, solo film fuels this worry. Additionally, the Batman solo film is rumored to pull heavily from Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, where the Joker and Batman face off for the last time, a book they're already adapting for Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. So why are we drawing on the Miller well so much? Yes, I know it's an awesome story, but have either of you considered that telling the story of an older Batman could be a way for Warner Brothers to unofficially link these films with Nolan's trilogy in the minds of the mainstream, non-geek public, again for more revenue? I speak of the same public who thought Batman Begins was a prequel to Batman 89 and that Dark Knight was a remake. Since Christopher Nolan was offered the grandfather position of the soon-to-be DCCU and turned it down, and Bale reportedly turned down another turn as Batman, this allowed the cinematic parasite... (laughs) Okay, I remember why I like this uh, email. (laughs) This allowed the cinematic parasite that is Zack Snyder to infect the creation of this universe. I hate his work with a fire of thousand suns, and it pains me knowing that he has the ability to shape the portrayal of my favorite characters. Joanna, I hope you agree. I do! Thank you, as always, for reading my email and answering my questions or comments on the podcast. Um, yeah. Is this where we invite Zack Snyder onto the podcast? Oh, my BFF, Zack Snyder. If it you... feels like, as as <laughs> journalists occasionally, we should <laughs> should be like, like we asked him confront to confront our demons. Oh, we to asked comment? him to come explain. Yeah, so we don't just trash talk him every week. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, I mean, we could just do the podcast equivalent, which is like, <laughs> hey, Zack Snyder, if you're vain enough to hear us trashing you, come on and tell us we're full of shit. Yeah. He posted um, something on Instagram. So he doesn't have a personal Instagram account, but he posts from his production company's uh, Instagram account. Mm-hmm. And he posted some photo that, you know, a bunch of people are wondering if it's from the set of Batman v Superman. And it's just so vainglorious. It's him, like, standing in this crumble cathedral backlit and just looking so 
saintly and I, I would be so embarrassed to post that photo of myself. Anyway, that's just tainted by my hatred of Zack Snyder. But I do think it's interesting that, you know, where is the balance? Okay, this is the, this is the larger question. Mm-hmm. If you are Warner Brothers slash the DCCU and you're trying to build a franchise off of two characters, Superman and Batman, um, where's the line? Where, how much do you seed in those familiar characters to your story and how audacious do you go just introducing them? Like Thor and Captain America were actually fairly audacious films in that they just introduced these new characters without, you know, with, with a thin, thin thread of like Nick Fury and, and Coulson. Um, and so to, with the DC version, how much is Suicide Squad just really going to be a Joker origin film? And then is that what we want mm. to see, you know? Um, it's going to be a lot of people origin film uh, or, or based on the draft that exists. Okay. So you've seen a draft of the screenplay. I haven't personally touched any stolen material that I'm <laughs> reporting on. That's a good disclaimer. Okay. But what can you tell us via other reports? Uh, the climax of the film involves uh, like this heist that sort of reveals one of the members of the Suicide Squad and his father to be a villain. And that heist also involves the transportation of Enchantress. And there's just like a lot of things at play here. And supposedly Joker is in like the Lex Luthor position. Lex Luthor, that is wrong. Uh, blah, 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 Anthony Hopkins and Science of the Lamb. Hannibal oh, Lecter. Hannibal Lecter. Okay. And all the L's. <laughs> in the Hannibal Lecter position where he's mostly in a cell. He doesn't ne- like necessarily get to be part of the Suicide Squad, but he has some sort of important intel that means he'd be part of the story. Or he's part of the bargaining chip for Harley Quinn. I'm not exactly clear on the uh, the details but at the end you know joker becomes active and breaks out during the climax so you have like this dual climax so it's a joker origin film in the sense that it's the first time we've seen joker in this universe but like of course any movie that's going to have joker or batman you know coexisting in the same universe is going to allude to a movie that's going to have the two i don't think anything's locked in with the Warner Brothers schedule like we've talked about. It's definitely much more fluid than the Marvel schedule and uh, much more like the Fox schedule where, like, you know, you could have one movie a year and then all of a sudden you have three, you know, X-Men movies a year. So one year, next year. Um, it, it seems like it could, you know, multiply if all of a sudden, you know, Jared Leto's Joker catches on for some reason. And it's like, oh, we could make money off this character. Heath Ledger hasn't killed it with the ultimate betrayal, um, which people said about him and Jack Nelson, but, you know, old old Batman rumors. I'm just mumbling to myself at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's possible it could work. But I don't know it's, why you went into whisper mode. I was, like, <laughs> waiting. Okay, sorry. It's like my it's it's my my vocal equivalent of footnoting things like in the <laughs> middle of a sentence. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Suicide Squad is going to be a lot like uh, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, in which it's going to introduce a whole bunch of characters and sort of allow them to pick the most popular ones and mash them together and give them the front lead. So, uh, but yeah, but then that's a- that's filmmaking by committee, right? 
That's polling the populace to find out, oh, you know, Jenna Malone's Robin is a hit, so let's have more of that. Or she's not a hit, so let's fuck that character, throw her in the bin, you know, like. It's the same thing Marvel's doing. It's just Marvel's it? reactive instead of, you know, we, we are out because they haven't failed. We're like, oh, yeah, good. You figured that out. You knew we'd love Space Tree and Space Raccoon. But then that's not, that's not, re- that's not filmmaking by committee. That's. What? experimentation that's all right can, well, no, we, can we do a raccoon like and a, a space tree oh we can cool okay let's try something else that's different than like space tree is a cameo in one movie and everyone loves him so, so so all of a sudden i am groot is its own movie you know all right all right so in this in this metaphor i'm about to oh. use <laughs> okay time time is gravity oh okay so like Marvel's like a firework. It like shoots up, it's a single stream, and then it disperses into all these wonderful stars. Whereas DC is gonna be like, I don't know, some sort of air ammunition that gets shot up and then explodes into a million pieces that fall to Earth. Wait, what's the difference? Well, I, I don't know. It's more difficult to pull off marbles as far as we know, which is why DC is doing its way. Because if uh, they're able to make that work, they will have suddenly jump-started this like, endless universe where you know the relationship between all these super-powered individuals you could endlessly mash up with your bat catalog of comic books that even includes some point down the line a mashing up of fixing of continuities. Like if DC could like throw all this stuff together and get to the Marvel standpoint without having to do 10 movies that are all in the same universe, it'll all be worth it. All this uh, walking the line of maybe being too much. Okay. Um, I have a follow-up question. Um, uh, Would you say that, that Tony Stark, that Iron Man, that Robert Downey Jr. is like the godfather of the current MCU? Yes. The pa- the paterfamilias, right? Yes. Uh, Henry Cavill's not going to be that. No one's ever going to be that again because Robert Downey Jr. raked Marvel over the coals for so much money that no one's ever going to be that again. No one's... Well, no, I don't just mean in importance. Like, you're saying they're never going to allow a character to be that important again because... No, Marvel I'm saying they're like never going to allow an actor to have that much sway over what movies are made again. Well, that's not that's not what I really mean when I say that. I oh. mean that like he is he is the figure that started everything, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are other Marvel movies before this, but he's like you know. Oh, really... oh, oh, oh. I think what you're getting at, yeah, no, it's definitely going to be Batman, which is what this right, reader okay. recognized. Yeah. So that so that's my question is that it's going to be Batman. Sorry that I was taking a long time to get there, but then the question is, what's how how viable, how interesting is it to start with a Batman? as old and Ben Affleck himself is not that old, but they're aging him up from how old Ben Affleck even is. Right. Mm-hmm. So how smart is it to start with a character that you are, are is already old? Are you Super just, smart. A, okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> are you of the mind that they'll just like find a new Batman if they need to? I'm not saying yeah. Ben Affleck's going anywhere anytime soon, but at some point Ben Affleck's not going to want to do this anymore. Right. So, right. I mean, it's it's um, 
they're definitely seem to be doing the Miller interpretation, which is an older Batman, which is where this is coming from. I don't think it's necessarily motivated in trying to trick people into thinking this is somehow connected, nor do I think they will try to connect it because it's much more valuable to have all that blank space behind your character where he was Batman and we could recast things and we could go back to heroes we didn't get to see and consequences that we've seen the results of, no, events we've seen the consequences of, and, you know, get to relive those things. You know, we might get to see a Joker kill Commissioner Gordon or a Joker beat a Robin to death in the future if that's what they want. Uh, There's so much more power in embracing the fact that you're pulling from a medium that, like, doesn't have a forward-moving continuity necessarily. It's just trying to tell these sort of stories about these mythical godlike figures, which is what DC, even in comics, I think has like over Marvel. Like if right now, if you want to pick up a Captain America comic and understand who's Captain America and why the old Captain America who's white is like all shriveled and stuff, you got to kind of like go back and read some issues but like no matter how many times they reboot the DC universe or have these weird convoluted like storylines the fact that the DC characters are so iconic just as like symbols and who they are means that you could kind of pick them up anywhere and do anything with them and people will be like oh yeah that's batman like batman might have been the first no no superman and batman are the for only superheroes that have you know crossed the Rubicon to not need an origin story in their reboots? Uh, Spider Man almost got there, but damn you, Sony gave us another origin story. But it's like you know, at some point, everyone's just going to be like, "Yes, there's a character I recognize just by being a human being and living in a media landscape," and that is sort of Iron Man right now uh, for Marvel's new universe, but it has definitely been Batman for DC for a long time and will be for a long time because okay. Superman is a square. Superman is the worst, and now he's the worst with more powers. He's not the worst, sorry, but he's pretty boring and squarish. And... He's challenging, but when you use him well, it, he can be used the best. What's the best way that he's been used in your Like, it's hard to make me feel like a patriotic patriotic humanist. Just my natural black-hearted narcissism, like, makes me resistant to that. But Superman can do that. Or, like, Superman preventing somebody's suicide can make me not realize that I'm reading a comic book that's supposed to be addressing the issue of suicide and actually, like, let me live in that moment. Because he's the person that we're all supposed to be, he could be treated in a hero, for me, more purely like an American symbol than other comic books, which have been forced to, you know, sort of muddy what their heroes are. Superman is best used when he's the ideal person and gives us something to aspire to. But that's Sounds so hard boring. to be dramatic. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Well, is there anything else? Snap everyone's neck. That's what I learned. Uh, <laughs> is there anything else we want to talk about in terms of comic books? No, I don't think so. Any TV shows we didn't address? No. Flash. No. no. We talked no, about we... Flash and Arrow. Agents oh, of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agent has Car- a... Did we talk about Black Widow, Agents of Shields? Did you pick up on that? Uh, that sounded so condescending. Um, I did pick up on that. Do well, you want to talk about like, it? Did you read about that in the news? Not did you notice that echo in the series? Um, I apologize for condescending. No, no, but no, no. You weren't really condescending. To be snippy. <laughs> what? 
What 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 should we know about Black Widow and Agents of Shield? Oh, or they, most, they 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 talk uh, how Dottie, one of Pe- uh, Peggy's flatmates, did like a Black Widow takedown on an assassin that we thought was going to be like the big bad last episode, mm-hmm. and. Uh, The showrunners said that she is a product of the Black Widow program, but they're not going to say Black Widow program. And that just made me go, uh, then why? Uh, It's the same sort of thing where it's like, if you're going to connect, why not not go all the way with it? Because that's what Marvel does. So uh, if she's a product of the Black Widow program, we're going to learn more about it next week. And I keep thinking that we're going to learn about Winter Soldier next week. Are they like a product of the same thing? And are we not going to get to name it because we're not Avengers Age of Ultron? I'm very confused by Asian Carter again. But I guess that's good because the first half of the episode wasn't very good. So I'm glad the second half, you know, kind of picked up and gave me something to be interested in. I mean, I think we all knew... Uh, were we surprised that that woman who lives in her building? I thought it was the waitress. Didn't you think it was the waitress? No, I thought it, she was weird from the get go. That neighbor girl. She, I don't know. And the I think get-go. she wasn't there like one episode, and then the next episode. Well, yeah, but that's what I mean. From like the the second she showed up, I was like, okay, you. All she wanted to do was like hide kill pickles things. in her purse. <laughs> I don't know what makes you a killer about that. You like to kill things. And she talked about the ballet too, right? Which I think made people, you know, their Natasha yes. Romanoff uh, senses tingle or whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know well. if anybody's senses tingle. She's like a, she's like a baby. We, we didn't, I don't know. I will. I obviously was rolling the dice on winter soldier because it was more time period appropriate. Uh, but I did not expect uh, Black Widow to come up and to come up and not be mentioned. Like, they're not going to say it. So, like, what? They're just saying, well, but but we've already seen, you know, from overanalyzing the Avengers trailer, we know that, like, Black Widow, that Black Widow program is going to be part of the Avengers movie. Well, I think it's going to be part of her flashbacks that Scarlet Witch sort of reigns upon. Right. Okay. So, but we'll have context for it then. So, like, you know, when when Natasha has flashbacks, we'll be like, oh yeah, it's a thing we learned about in Agent Carter. Cool. I guess it makes sense that they're going to volley to Avengers: Age of Ultron, which is closer rather than to Captain America's Civil War. But the weird thing is that like it's. Uh, Winter Soldier ended so definitively with like Bucky's still out there yeah. and Captain America is going to go find him. I can't imagine that not being dealt with before Ultron shows up in some way. And I have no indication that it's being dealt with in Avengers Age of Ultron. Like it, that no one's seen Sebastian Stan hanging around on set or anything. But that doesn't mean he's not there. It's just, it just seems seems weird to, I don't know. I guess they could just connect it all and I'll be like, oh, head exploded. I'm sorry I questioned you. I hope you say it in that voice as well. No, I save that for when Planet Hulk happens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. And so that's Agent Carter. Uh, Gotham, we're still not watching. Um, (laughs) So that's it. (laughs) Right wide world out there until you know supergirl and teen titan show up and brian Earth gets her zone show and we start to drown in all of the comic book tv shows that we're trying to keep up with so. oh adam that uh, poor brandon ruth just seems like 
uh, the right guy for the right job that just like gets shoved through the tube with too much enthusiasm and just doesn't stick the landing. Uh, that costume, like I could see him making it work, but that costume, like the second I saw it, I'm like, oh, this isn't getting the solo series. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, I mean, I agree with you. Like, it's not great, uh, Bob. But um, he's so great. I mean, if he doesn't get his own series, they at least need to keep him on Arrow because he's so great on Arrow. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he deserves to be a superhero character. And I would yeah. say anyone he wants to be. But, like, leading man of, like, a thing you put a lot of money behind, it it seems like that doesn't work out to him for him. I don't know. I'm rooting once, for him to have a, like, right? a that, that once didn't work out for him, right? Or or we're we talking about like the dog. What was the thing that he was in where he was like a detective? That was a comic book property, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, dog. Dog what, something. You, I, I saw 20 <laughs> minutes of a screener of that. Dog, just so I dog, could make jokes about it. Dog night afternoon or something. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, but like awesome. And Scott Pilgrim is a supporting superhero oh, yeah. character. Yeah. Yeah. And and doing good on Arrow. All I'm saying is that, like, you look at, uh, you know, the guy playing Barry Allen uh, with his flash suit on with the hood down because the hood up makes it look ridiculous. Or you look at Ollie and his Arrow get up with the hood up and you're like, oh, yeah, I could see these guys leading a TV series. That picture of Adam? No. Mm. That's like... That's like Shaquille O'Neal playing Steel. Oh, it's so sad. He's so charming. God damn it. All right. He needs a chin strap, though. Got to keep the helmet on. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Um, I think that's it. Dave, where can people find your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DA7E, writing about superhero movie news and Star Wars at latito-review.com and writing occasionally about mega franchises at Forbes.com. I'm Jonah Robinson. You can find me most days on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at JoeWroteThis, where you can find out about all of my other podcasts that I do. Dave does many more as well. Um thank you for listening please do send us feedback about the advanced section to bubble your thoughts at gmail.com or any questions you have uh you guys are doing so well sending us questions every week uh we really appreciate it uh, if you want to drop us a review on itunes that is also a thing that we would not mind and unless it's a one-star review and then just keep your opinion to yourself and we will see you next time bye